sitting down to teach. This is a weird thing for me because I'm a PE teacher slash fitness instructor. So we'll see how we go. Um, good morning, guys. It's a pleasure to sit before you this morning and open God's word together. What I'm going to do is not a traditional Easter talk by any stretch of the imagination. I'm just going to share with you some stuff that I have been learning since I was 15 and still continue to learn today. Um, And as I do that, ultimately, a lot of it kind of ties in with the message of the gospel because it comes from God's word and the gospel ultimately is God's word in its entirety. Um, And it's just brought to fruition in the person of Christ and the work that he's done um, on Easter Friday, Easter Sunday, or whatever days of the week that it was. Um, So open with me to Psalm 1 this morning. I'm just going to pray for us as we do that. We're going to be in two passages this morning, predominantly Psalm 1 and Psalm 73. So, Lord, we thank you so much for this morning. We thank you for your word, um, that it is powerful and effective and penetrates the dividing soul and spirit, joint and marrow, and judges the thoughts and attitudes of our hearts. And I pray this morning as we delve into it, we delve into this first Psalm that you would teach each of us, that you would teach me, um, and that we would walk away from here, men and women that have a better relationship with you because of what we have heard from you this morning. Uh, I pray that my words would be pleasing to you and that uh, there'd be no heresy found there, uh, but only your truth. Uh, I pray that your spirit would guide us through this time in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so Psalm 1. Read along with me. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in that law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, which bears its fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will, stand, will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. John Stott breaks this psalm up into two parts, as does Alistair Begg. Uh, The righteous will prosper or the wicked will perish. Pretty straightforward. Um, Alistair Begg breaks it up a little bit differently. He says the way of life and the way of doom or the way of death. Uh, So it's pretty Pretty self-explanatory as you read through it, uh, what the way of life looks like and what the way of death looks like. But we're going to try and pull that apart a little bit more this morning um, and talk about how we can do that better as believers. Um, So as you look there in verse 1, blessed is the man. What does this word blessed mean? A lot of people uh, think it to mean, you know, happy, uh, prosperous. uh, But then they take that idea and they put it into this context, into this world that we live in. Uh, It's a little bit different to that. So... The Hebrew word esher holds this meaning of contentment and happiness. That's true. But the root word for esher is ashar. So instead of the e's, you replace the e's with a's. Um, It's ashar. And that meaning or that word is to be right or to be straight. So we basically get this idea that happiness and contentment is ultimately found in a right relationship with God. So that's, that's kind of what you're getting there. That's the, the Hebrew reader would have understood it that way. Uh, which is pretty cool. So we move straight on from that into three negatives. So these are three things that the blessed man does not do. So the first one, he doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked. Second, he doesn't stand in the way of sinners. And third, he doesn't sit 
in the seat of scoffers or mockers. Uh, a guy named David Gusick, who Terry often quotes. Um, I am quite fond of the chap as well. He has some good commentaries. Uh, he says these things relate to thinking, behaving, and belonging. So if you're to tie the first one, um, walking, that correlates to thinking. Um, standing relates to behaving, and sitting relates to belonging in something. Uh, so you kind of have this prog- progression of sin in a person's life. Um, a guy named Clark kind of puts that progression of sin uh, into these words. So the great lesson, these are Clark's words, not mine. Uh, the great lesson to be learned from the whole is sin is progressive. One evil propensity or act leads to another. He who acts by bad counsel may soon do evil deeds, and he who abandons himself to evil doings may end his life in total apostasy from God. Very, very heavy words. So, first one, the blessed man does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. As believers, we need to be super careful where we actually get our advice from. All right, so this guy, he, he's not getting his counsel from wicked people. Um, he's taking it from somewhere else, which is what we'll look at uh, as we head into verse 2, all right? He knows, he knows exactly where to get it from. Uh, one of the big things that I found as well is he's, he's not just getting it from the counsel of the wicked. He's, he's looking at himself and realizing that sometimes the worst counsel that we can get is our own counsel, is our hearts. You know, where is it? Jeremiah seventeen nine. the heart is deceitfully wicked above all things. Who can know it? That's Jeremiah 17, 9. So we need to be really careful when we even have our own counsel going through in our minds, we double check that that relates to God's word, that that is in line with God's word. Um, Because oftentimes I go, oh yeah, I think that's what God's word says. But if I'm not 100% sure that that is what God's word says, I need to return to it and make sure that that what I'm doing and what I'm thinking and where I am, where I'm belonging, is actually uh, the place that God wants me to be. Point number two, standing in the way of sinners. What does this mean? The blessed man does not stand in the way of sinners. First and foremost, um, he doesn't do this because he knows that it's the way that's going to lead him to death. He goes, I'm not going to hang out with those guys because they are ultimately going to die. It's like sitting in a canoe that is destined to go off a waterfall. You're not going to jump in it. You're going to jump in the one that's tied to the rock, that's secure. Um, And so that's the same thing that this guy is doing. Um, Matthew 7, 13 says, Enter by the narrow gate, for narrow the gate, or for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. That behavior in the path of the sinner leads to death. If that's not a good enough reason for you guys to stay away from it, uh, like I don't know what is, um, but I constantly find myself stepping into that position, stepping into that lifestyle, even though I know that. And so this morning, we're going to look at how we actually get our minds into a place where we don't want to step into that lifestyle. We don't want to step into that place. Um, There's a great temptation to think and act and belong as the world does, because it is. It's, It's easy. That's what this verse says in Matthew. For the gate is wide and the way is easy. That leads to destruction. It's really, really cruisy. If you're on a canoe that's heading for a waterfall, you don't have to do anything. 
you don't have to paddle. That water is, is heavy, it's pushing you along, and it's fun. But at the end of the day, you're gone. You're destroyed, you're shattered on the rocks, your life is over. Um, so we need to learn how to actually steer away from that. I love Psalm 16, verse 11. It says, you will show me the path of life, and your presence is fullness of joy at your right hand. One pleasure forevermore, or one pleasure is forevermore. Point number three. Sit in the seat of mockers. What does this mean? So if we look through our progression there, um, we've had this person that's kind of gone along. They've, they've sat on the outside of the conversations maybe that people are having at work. Um, you know, they're hearing, hearing these conversations being had and they're going, oh, that's, I don't, I don't know how I feel about that. But they keep listening in and they keep kind of toying with, with the idea of jumping into these conversations. And then eventually they kind of, they find themselves in them. They, they find themselves chatting, um, scoffing, and mocking their boss or other workers. And then eventually, uh, they end up being the very ones that are mocking those people that are standing on the outside and not actually um, partaking in this conversation. Uh, so you, you have this kind of last progression where this person actually has sat themselves down so that they belong with these people. Um, I'll read you this, this quote from Charles Spurgeon. I think he sums it up so well. So he writes, It is a rich sign of inward grace when the outward walk is changed and when ungodliness is put far from our actions. He later goes on to write, When we are living in sin, we go from bad to worse. At first, we merely walk in the counsel of the careless and the ungodly, who forget bad, the evil is rather practical than habitual. But after that, they become habituated to evil. They stand in the way of open sinners who willfully violate God's commands. And if let alone, they go one step further and become themselves pestilent teachers and tempters of others. And thus they sit in the seat of the scornful. Do not underestimate the power of sin and the cunning of, of Satan. That's, that's one thing that I've kind of learned as a teen, and I continue to, to, to learn now. If I sit too long in, in the counsel of the wicked or, or with mates that aren't believers, it starts to rub off on me. My language starts to change. Um, I become a lot more comfortable speaking about crap and, and not speaking about the things of God. And so we need to be super careful as Christians that we, we have a balance there. Um, if you are someone, my dad always used to say, you know, it's better to have 51% non-Christian friends and 49% Christian friends. Um, but I think we could go even so far as to say, man, have 10% or 5% Christian friends and the other 90 to 95%. The reason I say that is because if we're seeking our counsel from God and not other believers even, then we don't actually need each other. It, it sounds bad. It, we don't actually need each other. But at the same time, God has called us into community, and community is an incredible thing that we need to actually um, meet together and not forsake that. But, you know, for the sake of that illustration, if, if we actually hold God's word dearly and, and soak in it, we don't really need each other. But the problem is we suck at it, and so we do. <laughs> like, that, that's, the, that's the honest truth. Uh, Galatians 5, 7 through 9 says, you are running a good race. This is just in relation to the cunning of Satan here. 
You were running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. Basically, don't think yourself a piece of dough that is unaffected uh, by the world. Just know that uh, you spend too much time in it and with it and not too much time with God. You're going to screw yourself over. Like, really? Verse 2. Moving quickly here, I know. All right, two affirmatives here. Uh, so we've gone from three negatives. Doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked, stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on that law he meditates day and night. All right, so the two affirmatives are he delights in something and he meditates on something. All right, the word delight basically means to just take great pleasure in something. Um, or to, to be pleased greatly by something. The blessed man finds his delight and his great pleasure in the law of the Lord. Now, what is this law of the Lord? Basically, if we sum it up, we, we look through the scriptures. Um, at this point, the law of the Lord for David, or for whoever is writing this first psalm, would have been the first five books of the Bible. That's pretty much it. All right. Uh, whereas for us, we have quite a bit more. Um, I used to think of the law of the Lord as well as being either the Ten Commandments or the 613 laws that are, are written through uh, the Old Testament. But we, we know from the, what have we been working through, John, Sermon on the Mount um, in Matthew, God or Jesus takes those 613 laws, he takes the Ten Commandments and he boils it all down to two commands, to love God and to love people. And we, we see that um, all through the New Testament, the epistles and uh, the gospels kind of all show those two points. Um, so looking at 2 Timothy 3.16 as well, um, we know that all scripture is God-breathed and useful for preaching, teaching, admonishing, correcting. So I think looking, looking at the scriptures for me, I've found, all right, this, this law of the Lord ultimately boils down to loving God and loving people. All of Scripture talks about that. Therefore, the law of the Lord ultimately, and my delight ultimately, should be in the whole canon of Scripture. Um, pretty, pretty simple, I guess, working through that and going, yep, I think that's, think that's what that's saying. Um, one of the tough things for me uh, growing up was going to youth groups and even Bible colleges and other churches and whatever else, and just seeing so many churches that did not hold to the whole canon of Scripture, to this whole book. They'd pick and choose little bits and pieces. Um, and I think it boils down to two things um, as to why people do that. It's either pride or it's ignorance. They, they go, oh, nah, because this, this book's going to screw up our meeting. It's not going to be as fun or it's not going to be as interesting for people. And so um, let's... Let's just steer away from that part of, of church that we're meant to, to do, that, that part of our meeting that we're meant to do, or uh, the things we're meant to focus on. Um, and then the other one is ignorance. A lot of people just do not pick this thing up every day and read it. They don't do it, and so they are none the wiser. Um, but we as a church, as a congregation, I think have an amazing uh, gift at delving into God's word and keeping, keeping each other accountable to it. I'm like, I'm so thankful for Terry and Mick and just all of all the men that have stood up here and spoken and all the women that pour into this and pour into the kids ministry. It's just such a great thing that we have here. 
Um, and I want to encourage you guys in that to continue to adhere to God's word. Um, looking at another quote from Spurgeon here, he says, The law of the Lord is the daily bread of the true believer. And yet in David's day, how small was the volume of inspiration, for they had scarcely anything save the first five books of the Bible. How much more then should we prize the whole written word, which it is our privilege to have in all of our houses? My question for us this morning is how many of us actually live by this claim? By this claim of the second and third verse here and by Spurgeon's words there. Some of us us might actually claim purity and right living, but we don't actually um, seek out God's word. We don't live ungodly lives per se, uh, but how many of us actually use God's word as an hourly guide as much as we use our iPhones or Androids as an hourly guide? Is it your hourly guide in joy and pain, or is it just something that you turn to in a time of need or on Easter or on Christmas Day where you open up and you read the accounts? So a bit of a question for you to kind of test where you're at with this. This was really hard-hitting for me, and it was quite funny. I was reading through my Bible the other day, and I flipped to the back, and I have all these kind of random quotes in the back of my Bible that I've just jotted down over the years, and this one was in there, and I was like, oh, that's a... That's a helpful little piece of writing. So here's the question for you. If you found yourself with 30 minutes free in your day, how would you spend it? Would you seek the Lord or would you seek pleasure elsewhere? So I'll just take that question with you as you, you head into your week. Um, and hopefully you can figure out quite quickly where your actual delight is. I know for me, um, my first thought is not to take that 30 minutes and delve into God's word. It's, oh, yeah, there's a, that show I'm watching. I'll just watch an episode of that. It's about 30 minutes long. Cool. Or, oh, I'll go and even sacrifice this time for physical exercise or going for a skate or whatever else. You know, that's my, generally my immediate port of call. But thankfully, God has worked in me quite a bit to allow me to, even though I have that as my first port of call, uh, oftentimes he reminds me quite quickly to go first to his word. Now, uh, looking at the, the little clause, a little phrase, meditates day and night. This one, um, so the reason I chose this psalm this morning is because this psalm changed my life when I was about 15, when I realized how important this book was that we have, that we um, hold in our hands and that we have on our shelves at home. Um, the blessed man takes so much pleasure in God's word. I looked at this and I went, man, I don't take much pleasure in God's word. How do I actually do that? And so I started talking to older men and older women and they said, look, if you want to learn to love someone, you need to spend a lot of time with them. And so for me, I was like, all right, well, this is a pain in my butt. I don't want to get up in the morning and read my Bible, but um, it seems like it's going to be the only way to actually do this thing. And so for so long, I just opened up God's word and just read it out of um, not even habit, just like, oh, yeah, I think I need to do this. It wasn't, it wasn't a desire by any stretch of the imagination. But over time, it became this habitual thing to the point that 
I needed to do it. I would wake up in the morning and if I didn't do it, I felt weird. Um, and my days actually started to, to look a lot different. I started to see the effect. And once I sort of started to see the effect of God's word on my life, I became addicted to it. Much like exercise as well. If you are exercising regularly, you start to see the effects of that exercise. You see your body change. You feel your body changing. And you go, oh, yeah, I want to keep doing this. I want to I do more of this. Whereas at first, you're like, eh, exercise, whatever. Like, do we really need to do it? Eat well, get fit, die anyway. It doesn't matter. Um, and so I think it's very, very similar to, to exercise and for us to take that first step and actually move into regular reading of God's word and soaking in God's word and understanding God's word and applying it to our lives. Um, if any of you guys have been in love, you would understand the, the idea of delight. When you delight in something, you consider it in all circumstances, if you, if you love a person, you go out to dinner and you go, ah, oh, you know, you're just with some mates and you go, ah, oh, I wonder what they would order. Or I wonder if they would um, agree with what I'm ordering or how many mouthfuls of my meal would they steal? You know, all that sort of stuff you're thinking through, uh, but you're always considering them and their attributes, their physical attributes, their emotional attributes, intellectual and spiritual. They're always in your minds. Um, so I think that's a similar thing with, with God's word. We go out and we, we do things and we go, ah, oh, how would God feel about this? How would, what would his word have to say about this? Um, my thoughts, my actions, everything that I am uh, saying, what would he think? And what would he do? You know, that whole bracelet, WWJD, stupid things, but it's a good idea for a bit. There is yet another element of this frequent meditation um, if you have your Bible there, you can turn to it, but uh, I'll just read it here for you. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the rene renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. So we see there that a frequent returning to God's word results in bringing a renewal of truth and a subsequent transformation of the sinful nature within us. So we, we return to God's word and it reminds us what it is that we are doing. You know, it's much like you go onto a computer and you type something in, blah, 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 you're doing your searches and then things start to get a little bit weird and the website doesn't quite work anymore, and so you go up and you hit that refresh button, and you hit that refresh button, and it takes the source code, refreshes that information, and the website know what it, knows what it's doing. It can it start to function properly again. Sorry for those IT people, I probably completely made a mess of that. But anyway, it's that same idea where we, we take ourselves back to the source code, we remind ourselves of what the heck this life is about, what we are doing, and we can get our feet back on the path and keep, keep going, keep functioning as we have intended or as we have been intended. Um, one of the major things for my life as well, reading this psalm, I came to this verse, uh, meditates on it day and night. And I was like, man, I can't do that. Like, I don't, I used to have a little Bible that I carried around. And then I used to have a little wallet that would have like little memory verses in it. And I would just flick through that all day long. Uh, you know, I was on the bus or in a line 
doing my shopping or whatever else, I would just flick through that. Um, and that was something for me, what is it? Psalm 119 verse 11. I hide your word in my heart that I would not sin against you. And so I think we have a responsibility as believers to take God's word and inject it into our hearts and our minds to actually take this thing and, and know it back to front. Take the verses and the, the very words and put them in our minds and the Spirit uses that big time. There's been situations that I've been found whereas I, if I didn't have, if I, if I had memorized that verse, I probably would have continued in that sin or done the wrong thing. But it was only because of God's word that I was able to actually step away and do the right thing. Nothing of myself, but God's word doing its work in me. And so um, if you don't memorize scripture at the moment, just start doing it. Just take a verse at a time. Take those verses that you um, know, know relate to the, the situations that you are in or the sins that you battle on a daily basis, uh, whether it be pride or sexual immorality or, you know, malice, hating your coworkers, whatever it is, take some verses from Scripture and just start to chip away at them and get them into your hearts and into your minds. Um, and I think you'll find it will be a really, really helpful tool for you. I've become pretty lazy with that. So if you see me around, just poke me and ask me what verse I'm learning this week. And it'll either be like a passive judgment on me where I, I go, oh, man, I haven't memorized anything this week. Um, anyway, that'd be really helpful, uh, I think, a way for us to encourage each other as a church. Maybe we can start a memorization club. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> John will head it up. <laughs> All right, verse 3. Um, don't worry, verse 3 is uh, kind of when we'll, we'll pull it together. And then verse 4 to 6, uh, we will kind of breeze over quite quite quickly. He's like a tree planted. This is a really, really cool concept. Um, so he's not a tree that has just grown in some random place. Um, he's actually been planted somewhere. So there's a gardener. That's, that's the, um, the way I sort of read this. So he's like a tree planted. Where is he planted? He's planted by streams of water, streams of living water. Um, if you don't know anything about the Eastern world, world and Eastern agriculture, uh, the way it worked is if you can imagine a checkers board. So you've got a river and then you've got a, a checkers board or a chessboard that's next to it. And you imagine each of the lines, um, water is traveling through those lines. And then on each square, there was a plant or a shrub or a tree. Uh, and the reason they did that, um, oh, sorry as well, so the water, the living water, the river would enter in at the top of the grid system and it would work its way down through and out the bottom of the grid system. And so these plants and these shrubs would, shrubs would constantly have a fantastic source of nutrients. They would have fresh water coming through all the time um, and each plant would have the same amount of water traveling through and bringing them nutrients as well. There wasn't one tree that had more or less. Uh, and that's the picture that this psalmist probably would have had in mind. You know, it's speculation, but uh, that's, that's what most people seem to think. Uh, so we have this tree that's been planted in one of those little squares, um, and it's being tended to. So I think of us, we've each been planted by God in one of these little grid systems, and God is tending to us and looking after us in this space. The only problem is, is we still live in the world, and we still are affected by the things around us. All right? We're subject to pain. We're subject to, to birds coming and um, you know, taking up 
and nesting in there and taking from our leaves, which isn't ultimately a bad thing, but there, there may come, come a time where there's no need for that. We're also subject to the wind and to the sun, to withering, um, to being beaten down, but at least we have a life source and at least we have a good, good gardener that is looking after us. Matthew 15, 13 says, uh, every plant that my heavenly father has not planted will be uprooted. Pretty, pretty heavy words there. So I think we take that image um, from Matthew 15, if we put it into this place here, where are these trees that have been planted as righteous people, as people that are seeking God, we have been um, placed in this garden or in this grid system that God is tending to. Uh, and so hopefully uh, we don't have people, and even if we do, if we have people here this morning, that are those who will ultimately be uprooted. And I charge you guys, um, delve into God's word and understand what it means to be in God's God and what it means to be tended by God and, and looked after by him. So we've gone through streams there, fruitful. This is something that's so cool. So uh, this man is like a tree planted by streams of water. He yields his fruit in season and his leaf doesn't wither. So what, is it, what does it mean to, to actually yield our fruit in season? I think of Straight away, I think of the, the fruits of the Spirit here. Love, joy, peace, patience, guidance, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. Yeah. Um, so if we're, in this, if we're in this grid system, God is looking after us. We have a constant life source from God's Word, from this living water. It is only natural that we're going to bear fruit. If there was a tree in one of those grid systems that wasn't bearing fruit, you'd begin to wonder, you begin to wonder, probably the life source or the source that it is drawing from is poison in some way. There is there's something in there that is taking away from the life of that. Ultimately, um, not just the fruits of the Spirit working in us, but I think there's a fruit as we soak in God's Word, as we take up God's Word, we're going we're gonna to evangelize people. You know, you, you can't read God's Word and not develop a love for people. And develop a, a deeper love for God. And you, it, like, what is it? I think it's in 1 John. Um, you know, you can't, paraphrasing here, you can't love me unless you love your brothers. And you definitely can't love your brothers unless you love me. You know, it works hand in hand there. And we develop a love for God through his word. This guy is also fresh. This tree is also fresh. So its leaf doesn't wither. And whatever it does prospers. The source of water feeding this tree keeps the tree fresh. This tree is not going to be subject to the withering. Um, and it's going to keep its branches and its leaves really, really full. For you guys, if you want to be full, if you want to be fruitful, if you want to have that. Let me, let me give you an example. This week I was on year seven camp. And there's this really, really um, disturbed kid. There's many of them actually in year seven. But one in particular... <laughs> One in particular, uh, he came up to one of the, he has a deep hatred for one of the teachers. And the reason he hates this teacher is because the teacher always seems to be happy, seems to be joyful, seems to be living his life um, and enjoying every part of it, even when hardship comes. And this kid hates this teacher for it. 
which is just a crazy, crazy thing for me. And he's like, how can somebody be so happy? And so this teacher sat down with a student this week and was like, look, the reason why I'm so happy is because of what Christ has done for me. It's not because life is good. It's because God is good that I'm happy. Um, and so didn't really do anything for the kid. Still hates him. But hopefully over time that will, will change. Um, but you, you have that. And, and this guy, I think, is a really good example of somebody that draws from God's word on a daily basis. And because of it, he is genuinely happy and genuinely joyful in all that he does, even when he deals with these year seven kids that at times you just want to... <laughs> Um, and lastly, in this section, this guy, this tree is successful. What, has, what it has been created to do comes about. What it's been created to do comes about. So in summary, the blessed man, or blessed is the man that is ultimately set in God's garden and tended to by God. He is, or the way God tends to his people is ultimately through his word. If you want to look more into that, John 15. Um, and then in order to be successful in living a blessed life that God has intended for us, we must constantly draw from him. Um, a guy named Alistair Begg, he's a Scottish preacher that I often enjoy listening to. He says this, um, this psalm, and I, I'm, I'm still not sure on this, uh, this is what I'll say, and this is what I know for now. He says that this psalm only relates to the person of Jesus. And he says um, that this isn't ultimately something that we are called to be, because we, we, we can't be this in and of ourselves. So I'll read, I'll read his words here. He says, they are not a charge, Psalm 1, they are not a charge to become what we cannot in and of ourselves, but rather a call to become increasingly what Jesus is, knowing that one day we will join with him in perfection. The law to the believer has become a joy rather than a burden because of the work of Christ. There's another guy, uh, William Cowper. He writes a beautiful, beautiful hymn, and there's a line in it um, that goes like this. To see the law of Christ fulfilled, to hear his pardoning voice, changes a slave into a child and duty into choice. And we have this amazing thing where this big old burdensome book and all the laws that we see in it um, and the Ten Commandments and, and the call to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us, it's tough. It is a tough thing. And if you're not a Christian, there is no way that you're going to want to do that. But as we step into Christ, who has fulfilled all of that, it starts to become this amazing, amazing Thing, this encouraging thing and something that is actually achievable because it's no longer I that live, but it's Christ who lives in me. In Romans there. Now verse uh, four to six, I'm just going to read it real quick to, to recap, uh, to get our minds back into this section. Not so the wicked, they are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Ultimately, these people are non-believers. They're like chaff, which is the wrapper on a piece of uh, wheat or corn or whatever else, and it's basically useless. Once, once harvesting comes, you harvest, you take this thing off, 
and you either throw it up into the air or as um, Matthew 3.12 says, it's thrown into the fire. And so that's the picture you get here. These wicked people, at the end, when judgment comes, they're useless. There's no place for them in God's kingdom. And so what's done with them, they are, and it's very graphic, thrown into the fire. They're done away with, and that's it. They've had, that, like their job has been done. Um, the amazing thing for us is we are ultimately no different. We are, we are useless. We are completely without a leg to stand on, without the person of Christ. 1 John 2 verse 1 says, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But anyone who does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. So we memorize scripture, we step into a situation, um, maybe that scripture doesn't come up, we fall into sin, we don't, we don't have to, to worry about that. We don't have to be brought down by the guilt of that, which hopefully all of us know because we have an advocate who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. And I'm really excited for the day where I get to stand before God, Satan's there accusing, and Jesus comes in and goes, no, no, I've, I've looked after this guy. I've, I've looked after this guy. He is, he's said that he loves me and he's shown that he's loved me by my strength, and so I get to walk into eternity with Christ. And that's an amazing thing that each of us uh, will have an opportunity to do and hear, hopefully, those words, well done, my good and faithful servant. I want to um, close this morning with a bit of a, an example. So if you want to turn with me uh, to Psalm 73, this is an example of somebody that was very close to throwing in the towel with Christianity. Um, or with a trust in God. All right, he goes by the name of Asaph. Um, can't remember who he is or what he does, but he's a guy like you and me. So we'll look at what he has to say here. I'm just going to read through and kind of stop and make a few comments along the way. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet came close to stumbling. My steps had almost slipped, for I was envious of the arrogant, as I saw the propensity of the wicked, for there are no pains in their death, and their body is fat. They are not in trouble as other men, nor are they plagued like mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace, the garment of violence covers them. Their eyes bulge from fatness, the imagination of their heart run riot. They mock and wickedly speak of oppression. They speak from on high. They have set their mouth against the heavens, and their tongue parades through the earth. Therefore, the people return to this place, and the waters of abundance are drunk by them. They say, how does God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked, and always at ease they have, inc they have increased in wealth. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and washed my hands in innocence. For I have been stricken all day long and chastened every morning. So just stopping there, looking at what's going on here. This guy Asaph, he's, he's looking at the world around him. And he looks at the people of Israel and he's like, yeah, God, you've made promises to the people of Israel. I understand that. And you've been good to them. You've taken them out of slavery. You've fed them through the wilderness. Um, and you promise them 
this place with milk and honey, and they're going to be able to soak that up and enjoy um, this life that you have set forth. But verse 2, as for me, man, my feet are coming close to stumbling because I'm looking at the world around me. I'm looking at people, wicked men, and they're prospering. They're making more money than me. They've got prettier girlfriends than me. They've got awesome um, relationships with people, uh, amazing positions at work. What's, like, what's the go? I don't understand why these people get so much more than me when you say that you are good and you're meant to be blessing people that bless your name. So he's struggling here to the point where he almost stumbles. All right, then in, fifth, in verse 15, we have this really, really cool transition. If I had said, I will speak thus, behold, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. So this guy deals with this thing, but instead of going and speaking to the people of Israel or going to his church and starting to have these conversations, oh, how stupid is it that God doesn't like give me what I want? Like I was praying for a bigger paycheck this week, and I didn't get it. What the heck? So instead of him doing that, he goes and turns to Scripture. He, he goes and he, he, he begins to reflect on uh, what God says. Verse 16, when I pondered to understand this, I was troubled in my sight until I came into the sanctuary of God. So he was troubled. He was dealing with this thing up until the point that he entered in intentionally into the sanctuary of God. And so for us, we struggle as we look around at the world and we see the problems that are going on for us and think everyone else is sweet. We look at people at work and we go, why are they um, being promoted and I'm not? Uh, Or, you know, my relationships are falling apart and everyone else seems to have it all together. When we have those thoughts, we need to go to the word of God into the sanctuary of God. This is the sanctuary of God for us. We have the written word of God. Um, And end of verse 17 there, he was able to perceive their end. He saw, ah, okay, this is basically heaven right now for the wicked. Right now is as good as it is going to get for the wicked. Whereas for us, in I think it's John 17, Jesus says to his disciples, now is your time of grief. Our time right now on this earth, just like Christ, we're following in his footsteps, is a time of grief. It's not meant to be fun. It's not meant to be happy, clappy, let's all hug and have a good time. This is meant to be, we're going to face hardships, we're going to face troubles every single day, especially if we are men and women that are putting ourselves out there. We are trying to make disciples. We are trying to love God and love people in everything that we do. It's going to be painful. You're not going to have much money. You're not going to have a comfortable place. See, you're not going to have new clothes each month. I, again, I, I always go back to Dave Payne because he's such an encouragement to me in these things. And I wish that I could spend time with him every week because it'd be so helpful for my life because I don't necessarily have an example so, so uh, 
exaggerated, I guess, but it's not exaggerated. It should be the norm that we see men and women that are just giving so much to the point of pain. And I think of the guy, John Wesley, who um, many of you may know his story. He used to make uh, money traveling around and preaching. And he basically committed himself, uh, and this might be an idea for you. Um, I should probably employ it as well, to be honest. But he, would, he figured out how much he needed to live on each year. And he said, look, um, I'm just going to continue to live on that. Regardless of how much money that I make, I'm going to continue to live on this much money. And so it was about, uh, I think average wage then was about 30 pounds a year. And he's like, hmm, I reckon I could do 29 and so he went 29 pounds a year and he said, anything else I'm just going to give into the work, give into the ministry, give to God. And the first year he made 29 pounds. Cool. Lord, I didn't give you anything, but like I've, I've committed to that. So I'm just going to continue to do that. The next year he makes 30 pounds. And so he gives one pound away. And then the year after that, I think it was, he ended up doubling his wage. Um, and he continued and continued to, to do that. I think by the end of his ministry, by the end of his life, uh, he gave the equivalent of $93 million away, if we were to translate it into to our day. Um, so this is a man that understood when he looked at the world around him what he needed to do in light of eternity, what he needed to do. Asaph here, he's looking at the world around him. And he's going, what is going on? I, I have no idea. Uh, should I go and shout with people about this? No, I need to go to the Lord. I always go to the Lord for it first. And so he goes, goes to God. He enters into the sanctuary of God and he perceives the wicked man's end. Um, and then in verse 25, this is one of my um, favorite sections, favorite parts of the Psalms. 25, whom have I in heaven but you? And besides you, I desire nothing on earth. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is my strength and my heart, my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you will perish. You have destroyed all those who are unfruitful or unfaithful to you. But as for me, the nearness of God is my good. I have made the Lord my refuge, that I may tell of your works." So for Asaph, he realized, for John Wesley, he realized, for Dave Payne, he has realized whom, I don't, I don't have anyone else in the world except for God. Nothing, no one else matters, nothing else matters other than relationship with God and other people coming into that understanding and that relationship with God as well. Even if my flesh and my heart fail me at times, I know ultimately and deep down that God is my portion. Why? Because when I do the wrong thing, I go, oh man, why did I do that? Why did I do that? And I'm able to turn myself around only be because of and by the grace of God. Now just, just finishing here, uh, I've got a few more notes, but I'm going to just skip over them and, and just throw some challenges you guys' way. Challenges for myself. I wrote these for myself this week, but uh, I'll share them with you as well. Because uh, I think they're important. Number one challenge, and hopefully these are practical, so if you want to write them down and remind yourself of them, you can. Number one, spend the first and last moments of your day in God's Word. Spend the first and last moments of your day in God's Word. Number two, if you have a Bible app on your phone, 
put that Bible app on the home screen and move all your other distracting apps as far away from your home screen as possible. Facebook, Instagram, games, sports apps, whatever else. Put them in the least accessible space possible. Or better yet, just delete them. Just get rid of them. Like, it's a waste of time. Whom have I in heaven but God? And the earth has nothing I desire besides him. If that is true of us, we don't care about all those other things. We want to pour ourselves into God's word and understand it so well that our lives are changed and we can change other people's lives around us. Number three, set reminders for yourself on your phones, whatever else, to pray and to meditate on God's word until it actually becomes habit. So set those reminders, do it, and then eventually, just like when you set your body clock, you will begin to wake up when, like now I have an alarm and I wake up at the exact same time every morning. Wake up at 4.30, but now I wake up at 4.29. My body just does it. It's anticipating the alarm. So I set the alarm there just because I'm like, oh, if I don't set it, I'm, you know, it won't work. Um, but 4.29 every single morning, every single morning. Um, and it's crazy uh, because now my body has completely made that habit. And I think similarly with us, as we begin to delve in God's word, it becomes a habit for us. Uh, but we still want to do it, even though it's habitual, uh, we want to do it with a deep desire and delight. Uh, number four, talk to each other about it. Talk to each other about what you guys have been learning, what's been encouraging you. Um, and, you know, just literally go up. Lovey, one of my mates, uh, every time I see him, we have a conversation about God or God's word. And that's just an agreement we have made as mates. We will not leave uh, one another's presence without having a conversation about God. And that's such, that, that little commitment has caused hours of conversation around God's word and, and countless times of encouragement. Um, and for me, oftentimes I'll step in and he'll be like, oh man, what have you been learning? And I'm like, ah. Oh. And I, I haven't necessarily been applying myself in God's word. And so I haven't necessarily learned anything. I've just been, been reading and kind of doing it out of habit. And so that kicks my butt into gear um, to begin to delve into God's word and ask questions of it and say, how can I actually take this and make it something that is effective in me? And last point here, um, number five, start memorizing scripture. Um, it reminds you of your place in Christ ultimately, and it reminds you of the life that you should be living, of what your life should actually look like. Just by way of reminder, Romans 12 has called us to lay down our lives as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. God's word is the only way for us to actually understand God's will. People will come to you and they'll say, oh, I'm just really not sure what God's will is. God's will is right here. He's made it clear. And until you start doing this, until I start doing the stuff that is really explicit in here, who cares what country you live in, what job you have, um, what person you date or marry, it doesn't matter unless you are following the explicit teaching of Christ first and foremost. Lay that other stuff aside. Um, let me pray for us as we head into the week and uh, hopefully we can apply these things. Lord, it's such an encouraging thing to see a man like Asaph who, he was a great man. He was a man that, that sought after you and, and loved you and cared for you deeply. Uh, 
yet he still struggled as he looked around at the world and saw wicked men. He saw uh, people that were following the ways of this world and prospering. They were getting the good jobs and enjoying the pleasures of this world. But ultimately, he found himself in your presence, in your word, and, and understanding that this is really just meaningless. This life that we live is, is meaningless apart from you. And so those wicked people and everything that they gain and earn, it's all moth and rust. It's all destined for destruction. And so for each of us in this room, this, this Easter, as we reflect on Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection, that uh, we would be reminded that life is so much more than what we experience and what we do right now. That what we do and experience right now is incredibly important as it determines for us what life after this life looks like. Uh, whether we enter into eternal relationship with you or whether we enter into an eternal rejection of you. Lord, help us to go out this week uh, to spend time in your word, to pour over it, to meditate on it day and night uh, that, to the point that it becomes our delight, our deepest love. And naturally, as we do that, that it would pour out into to the men and women around us, that they would begin to ask questions as we've looked at in Peter. That people would look at us and they would see something different and they would ask about the hope that is within us. And we would be ready because we have poured over your word to give an answer for that hope. Lord, you are good and we're so thankful for your word and that it is um, on every one of our shelves, every one of our phones, every one of our, hopefully our bags, our pockets, and ultimately in every one of our minds. God, go with us this week and empower us to, to do the work that you have called us to do. By your spirit, help us to, to lead hundreds of people in Newcastle, thousands of people in Newcastle into your kingdom so that next Easter weekend we can celebrate that, that great work that has been done and the fact that we have more and more brothers and sisters um, as a result of the work you have done through us. In Jesus' name, amen.